On today's episode of The Investing Revolution, we're going to talk a little bit more about being an ethical landlord, how to uh, you know, help the inventory around you and uh, not feel gross about it. Long story short, don't be a slumlord, guys. This is The Investing Revolution, a podcast designed to help your real estate investment strategy. On this podcast, we'll teach you the actionable steps to take and pitfalls to avoid so that your real estate investing can thrive. Welcome to The Investing Revolution. I am your host, Jonathan Cook. Uh, Today, I want to kind of go back to uh, some stuff that we said in the last episode about um, inventory and supply in the real estate market. And I want to talk a little bit further about the ethics of being a landlord. Um, We did an episode a few weeks back about uh, being an ethical landlord, how to make sure that you're not contributing to the problems going on in the real estate market and the economy in the United States. Um, It's... It's a contentious uh, subject. There are a lot of very strong opinions on both sides of the aisle. Um, We see, uh, for those of us in this industry, for those of us that have been in real estate investing for any time, um, there are a lot of detractors. There are a lot of, um, you know, people that like to, uh, you know, consider real estate investors and landlords um, kind of an enemy here. And and there's a lot of reason why. It makes a lot of sense in a lot of people's eyes that aren't in real estate investment why it's bad for the country as a whole or why it's bad for them as uh, a consumer. And there are points that they make that that are truly valid. Um, and, and I want to discuss why those those points are valid. I want to kind of go in. I don't want to straw man anyone. I don't, I don't want to, you know, tell you that all of their fears and concerns are are worthless and they don't know what they're talking about. In some cases, um, they don't understand a full picture. And in some cases, when they hear that, you know, I'm I'm in real estate investing. I'm a real estate investor. I teach people how to be better landlords. I, I get some heat occasionally about uh, how can you do that? Um, how, how can you add to the problem that's going on right now? There, people are people are homeless. People are uh, you know trying to find homes after they sell their home, and the housing prices have gotten so high. How do you justify this and, and still think that you are helping people? Well, the problem is not us. The, 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 the problem is not your everyday landlord trying to build equity and create generational wealth for themselves. Um, some things that we do create problems, certainly, uh, most of which are due to lack of education, um, lack of a full scope and picture of how to to operate inside this industry well and ethically. Um, if we go back to what makes an ethical landlord? Uh, you know, we can talk about maintenance work orders. We can talk about making sure that when your tenant is in that property, that they are receiving uh, benefits for doing so, that they are getting what they pay for, um, and we are not 
overinflating values and putting uh, tenants in properties that they would never be able to afford just so that we can evict them or have our numbers on a spreadsheet work out so that we can refinance out uh, different equity so that we can put it back into um, you know new investments and what have you. All, all those things contribute to this, certainly. But, but I want to talk about more specifically the, the inventory, um, which we discussed on our last episode. Um, right this minute, in the Atlanta market, there is less than a two-month supply of active real estate inventory for anyone to buy. And if we just consider that there's a major housing shortage, our median days on market being 24 days means that your everyday first-time home buyer or even you know second-time home buyer is having major problems uh, being able to bid on active inventory that they would like to live in, um, and they're, they're bidding against real estate investors that, in in many cases, have more capital than they do. They've saved up more money because they have equity out in, in other properties, or they have uh, much larger cash reserves than some of these, you know, first time home buyers. And and it feels for them very unfair to be able to buy their first home. And and I understand that feeling. I, I, I certainly do because equity is a thing that is, you know, slowly dwindling in the United States right now. Um, when we look at the number of billionaires and millionaires in the United States, uh, factor in the total amount of wealth in the United States, we, we actually can get down to your average American citizen is only worth about $2,500. Most of that is because there is no equity. They don't have anything. They don't own anything. They don't have anything that is worth more than whatever money they have in a bank account. And, and that's a really hard concept to fathom when maybe you have a large amount of income and yet still aren't able to purchase a home in the area that you live. Like you have the money to afford a regular mortgage, even at the current 6% rate or whatever we're at today when you're listening to this episode, uh, over 5% at least. Um, it, that, that's a hard thing for buyers that want to buy and live in a house to swallow while they're looking at this as, I want to buy that house, I want to live in here, I want to live in this neighborhood, I want to live in this school system, I want to live in this municipality, I want to live in this area, and yet they're competing with somebody that lives in a whole different state, sometimes a whole different country, um, and, and they're, they're going to buy this house and you know put a renter in the property. And th- they look at that and say, well, the mortgage on that property is going to be, let's call it $1,200, but the rent is going to be $1,800. So they're taking a house out of the regular inventory, the regular purchasable inventory, and now turning into rental inventory. Um, and, and the reason that real estate investors are doing that right now, if you've just joined my channel and you're not a real estate investor, you, you want to get some insights on real estate investors so that you can you know, tear down the man from the inside. I, I understand that mentality. I promise you I do. But the reason that that's happening is because the inventory in all real estate markets are supremely low. And it's because our older inventory is slowly diminishing. Um, you buy a house that was 
you know, built in the 1950s, 1960s, it, you know, it might be dilapidated. The roof might be completely caved in. It's not livable. You can't buy that house and put a renter in there. Whereas you can buy something built in 04, 05, 06 that's in really good shape. It's the kind of house that, you know, your average, ev- average, everyday home buyer might want to buy and live and raise their kids in it. And so that, that creates some animosity between the two classes of people. So your standard retail home buyer versus your real estate investor. Um, and it's because of the lack of inventory there. So I want to talk a little bit about how we as real estate investors can step out of the way of some of these first time home buyers, some of these early home buyers and, and still make massive profits and actually not only still make money, still grow some, some equity, still grow some value, uh, for retirement, but also actually help some areas. Um, tertiary markets and secondary markets often have, um, older areas uh in in the atlanta market i'm going to specifically talk about a, a small city called griffin um we could talk about Lagrange. we could talk about um several markets uh columbus or you know wherever we want to talk about but but griffin is right down from the office i've, I've been over there several times in the last couple of weeks and it's, it's a good um all-encompassing example of what we're talking about here you can drive through uh, Griffin, Georgia, and you will see most of the housing inventory in that area was built in the 50s, 60s, some of them in, you know, as old as even in the 40s. Um, and those are livable homes after an investor comes in there and makes them such. They have really good margins. Your, your rent price is over there, $1,200 a month. You can purchase a distressed home for forty or fifty thousand um, dollars, and, and that leaves you enough margin to actually add properties back into the inventory. So, if you're a buyer looking to buy in Griffin right now, many of these homes that are good investments aren't really good buys for you to buy and move in because they require additional capital up front. They require a full renovation. They are not livable. That is not what is competing with the buyers buying that property. That is not something that your, ev- your average everyday citizen can just purchase and say, okay, well, this is where I'm going to live. I'm going to go buy this and move in. I mean, we're talking about many of these homes. The roofs are literally collapsed in um, the, the windows are boarded up. The doors are shut and locked and bolted and they're old inventory where <clears throat> the previous owner could have bought it new back in the you know 60s they they it could be family owned at this point there's a lot of inventory real estate investment inventory that's just sitting in these secondary markets sitting in these tertiary markets that nobody's living in nobody can live in them um, nobody's making money off of them nobody's doing anything with them they might not even be on the sales market they might just be sitting there empty waiting for someone to come in there and make that a livable option now in these types of markets, in these really low income markets, a real estate investor can go in, purchase these distressed homes. I mean, these these are massively distressed. They don't have flooring in them in many cases. They might be down to you know studs on the inside. They require a lot of work. And that is a massive amount of risk for real estate investors because anytime that you are walking into a distressed property, something that needs a complete renovation before someone can live in it, you are taking on 
all of the responsibility of the risk of making that property up to code, making it livable, putting in you know good work. You have to trust into contractors and then subcontractors, somebody to project manage the whole thing. And if you're doing that from a distance, that is a really daunting task, um, which goes back to our earlier episodes of how to how to start building your strategy out, what to do to begin real estate investing, how to start. It's building the right team. And so out of the 72 million rental properties and the 11 million that are professionally managed, um, you know, it, it becomes really difficult for an investor to put their trust and their money in the hands of someone else managing that project. Because trying to see eye to eye on what my vision is for a property versus what an investor's vision is for a property. Those aren't always parallel. They aren't always the same thing. Um, a real estate investor that just wants to earn money quick and put somebody in there might look at one of these properties that's fifty or $60,000 and realize, okay, well, I can make it livable. I can put a roof on it. I can make sure that the HVAC is working. I can make sure that the electrical and the plumbing all operate. And then I can just take the cheapest aesthetic um, fixes and just kind of put lipstick on that pig as, as the saying goes, uh, you know, paint some brown color on the walls. It's, you know, it's fine that it's a brown color because it's the leftovers of all the paint that we had left from all the other, you know, rentals that we've made. And, you know, we've bought tons of carpet, you know, at a really discounted price and we'll just roll that out and, and ta-da, boom, it's a rental. Now, is it livable? Sure. Are you doing a service to an area? No. All you're doing is you're adding in under quality properties into that market. And then because of the, the lack of inventory, it still becomes market value. Whatever market value is, if every home in the area still rents around $1,200, but all the other ones had you know nice LVP floors, they've got craftsman style work in the property, but they are all gone. And now you put this, you know, lipsticked up pig on the market and say, well, it's worth $1,200 too. And it's just got, you know, real cheap carpet in there, real cheap paint and the most basic layout that we can give to that property. Is it actually worth 1200? Well, supply and demand will tell you, yeah, it is because now it's the only thing available on the market. Uh, but that is not truly improving in, in area. It doesn't increase the value of anything. It's just, hey, I understand that you need new properties on the market. Here is one available. So let's dive into that. Let's let's look at why that's a problem. Is because you're you are artificially capping the improvement in an area. If everybody starts seeing that now, I can get away with really cheap fixtures and still get eleven hundred dollars a month or twelve hundred dollars a month. Well, now I'm going to do lesser quality work, and that's going to create a snowball effect. It's going to start putting you know lower quality investors that have less scruples than than the guy before him to come in and. Well, maybe I don't have to replace the roof. Maybe I can just repair it here and there. Well, maybe I don't have to replace the HVAC. I can just put some Freon in it. Because you you start filling in a market with real estate investment, and that's going to start bringing in outsiders that are going to try and emulate you, create turnkey opportunities for people, and do them on the cheap. Uh, and, and that is just going to create a you know, a nest of really bad areas to invest in. And it, and it kind of ruins the investment quality of the area. You lose out on the best part of owning real estate, which is that equity gain. Uh, real estate is not a quick 
investment strategy. It's not something that you can buy in today, sell out tomorrow, and make hundreds of thousands of dollars. Anecdotally, can we say that that has happened? Yeah, probably several times in, in many different markets. Flips happen. I get it. Um, flips are what we see um, most real estate investors thinking that they want to do. Oh, I know how to add force equity into this property and that I'm going to sell it. The problem with that is people don't understand market changes and, and how that works. You can't go in and force equity into an area that, that's capped at a certain level and just say, well, now I've added all the features in, it's worth more. That's not necessarily true. Again, back to supply and demand, it's got to it's gotta fit what the market is around it. So how do we do this right? How do we add properties back into the inventory, make money, and still not be part of the problem. So let's go back to finding those distressed properties. So you got to work with wholesalers a lot of the time to find these really good deals, the ones that haven't been sitting on the MLS and had every investor, you know, in the known universe click on it at least a half dozen times and, you know, run their spreadsheets and gone and made some lowball offer. You you don't want to deal with that because that's going to be difficult to to get the best options for you. But once you find those properties, you need to put forth the effort into improving it in a way as if you were going to flip it. You, you might want to live in it. You want to make it up to whatever the high-end standard is of that market. You want it to look nice. You want it to be something that when you put a tenant in there, they have the ease of use. It's easier to clean higher quality floors. It's easier to clean you know, higher quality paint on the walls. It's easier to take care of solid surface countertops than Formica. And when you put in the higher quality options, they last a whole lot longer. Um, th there's a, a story about how being poor makes people more poor about shoes that I heard long ago. Um, you know, a, a, a worker making, you know, low quality, you know, income can go in and th they can't afford a 200 pair, a $200 pair of really nice work boots. So they buy the, the cheap $30 pair that, that, works. It's just fine. They don't have the money to afford the $200 pair, but they can afford the $30 pair. They buy one, one set of them. They wear them for three months. They start getting holes in them. They wear them and they start hurting their back because they start to fall apart. They don't work really well for them. They start getting health problems. They've got to replace those shoes. Now they still can't afford the $200 pair, but they go buy a $30 pair every two, three months. After a couple of years, they've spent well more than $200 on these shoes and they still need new shoes. Whereas that $200 pair of shoes, it's much higher quality. It lasts a whole lot longer. It's, it's of the materials that you can go and repair and make them last significantly longer. There's less you know, health issues that arise because the soles last longer. You don't get the back pain. And so putting forth the money in the beginning is a much better long-term investment. And, and we can see that real estate is, is much the same way. Um, LVP is a product that's been around for, you know, quite a number of years. And, and I want to really hammer home how valuable I think LVP is. Uh, first of all, aesthetically, it's really nice. It looks like hardwood floors. It lasts for a really long time and always looks, looks really nice and clean. It's very easy to clean LVP floors, especially if they're installed properly because it's, you know, it's very similar to hardwood. You can sweep those up. You can mop them. You can keep them really nice and clean. Um, you can spill water on LVP floors because it's vinyl. 
It's luxury vinyl plank. They, they're water resistant. They're shatter resistant. They don't chip. They don't break. They last a really long time. Now they're more expensive than real cheap carpet. About double real cheap carpet, um, especially per square footage. Now, let's say you put in really cheap carpet. It's going to cost you in a 1500 square foot house. Let's say you carpet the whole thing. It's going to cost you uh, 4,800 bucks to, to get it a really nice, good level of carpet in there. You know, it costs you under five grand. You get it all in. It's nice. It lasts you two or three years. The tenants can't keep it clean. So all the stomped in dirt and all that stuff just keeps hard. It gets harder and harder to clean. And so after that first tenant that stays two or three years, now you really need to replace the carpet again. So your investment didn't last a long time. You've got to go ahead and, you know, rip it up. And maybe you start doing room by room. Well, this room is way worse than this room. So I've got to fit it in my budget. Now let's just replace this one room with carpet. And that's all I can afford. And so now your rents don't get to go up any higher. Your equity doesn't really gain a whole lot. But you've got carpet in there. You can rent it again. Another three years goes by. Same kind of thing. Well, now I've got five rooms that I've got to replace the carpet. Or maybe go ahead and replace the whole thing. Because they're, they're not quality products, because the material themselves don't last as long, you end up having to replace it more often. You end up sinking a lot more money into it. Whereas putting in the high quality floors to begin with, it might have cost you you know, instead of five grand, it might've cost you or under five grand, it might cost you a little bit more than that, maybe six grand. Okay. Well, now those last 10, 15 years, they, they stay looking nice. The tenants have an easier time cleaning them. They appreciate those floors and that effort a whole lot more because it lasts longer. It, it looks nicer. Um, it's worth more in, you know, in theory. So, that puts forth a better product that will get you more money in the end and save you more money in the long run. Um, I, I go back again to real estate investors need to be more patient with what their investment is doing. It needs to last significantly longer to start seeing all the benefits of owning real estate. Real estate isn't just about an equity gain. It's not just about a cash flow. There's tax incentives for it. There's long-term wealth creation for it. There, there's a lot of, of benefits that you get by having your money in real estate for a long time. Um, I believe I heard it was you know maybe Ted Turner that said, uh, real estate investment is not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. And owning something for a long time is going to get you your return back. And so when we're talking about making efforts to continue to be good, high-quality landlords, to not be the bad guy, I think the first step is a mentality shift into buying properties that need us. They need us to go and breathe life back into an area. And I don't just mean buying up properties and moving tenants in there. I mean, buying properties that are not really in the inventory anymore, buying something that no one else would be able to make any sort of, you know, beneficial uh, investment. in. no one can buy into it, buy it and move into it today. It's an investor that has to go in there and see a vision and see what it can become. That way it increases market value for a full area. Your tax revenue is going to, you know, be nicer for a market because you can, you know, your tax values are going to go up. That That's, you know, a pain to our bottom line, but it's good for the whole area in general. You're adding stuff back into the market. Uh, this is very similar in theory to build to rent. So the build to rent model is also becoming really, really popular in uh, the real estate investment zeitgeist right now. Um, I, I, this episode is not 
you know, the perfect episode to dive really deep into how the build to rent model is, is really valuable. It, you know, makes us better landlords. It makes us more money in the long run, but it's a similar concept of adding inventory back into the market where there isn't any. And that's, that's what I want uh, our listeners to, to get today. That's what I want you to look at when you're saying, well, how can I still make money? How can I still grow my portfolio? How can I still gain wealth in the long run and yet not be a bad guy, but also help an area out and also still, you know, choose the right kinds of investments to where I am happy with them. I don't have to, you know, take on the risk of, oh, now the bubble's going to pop and I might lose all this, this equity. So what are the steps? Steps are, first of all, find your partners, find a team that can help you identify the areas that, that have distressed properties in them, that if you could buy the distressed properties and put the equity in, put the work into it, that you are creating a profitable investment for yourself. And then you have to take on the risk. And, and, and here's the risks. You're going to have to get building permits. Those are going to cost some money. You might open up a wall and find something that's not to code and you have to bring it back up to code that you weren't planning for in, in the, uh, you know, the initial underwriting of the investment. You know, you're going to have to have a vision here and really sink some investment capital into making these properties work. And that's okay. Putting money out in the front of, of your investment, starting out by putting your money into what you really want to create and how you want it to make money is good for you in the long run. I mean, otherwise you've just got money sitting around that, Hey, what do you got to do with it? Go buy another investment. Okay, cool. Let's make sure that this investment is making money first. And you know, if you're worried about, well, I've now sunk all this money into my real estate investment. How am I going to continue to grow my portfolio? I don't want to wait 15 years to have enough equity to go buy me another property. Um, I want to tie into an episode that we recorded in Vegas. Um, you know, it, and actually, as we're recording this, I think it will be the next episode that comes out. Um, so you've, you've heard it before you've heard this episode. But, you know, we're starting to see the options of owner benefits packages. Uh, here at Revolution, we have one that allows our real estate investors to, once we place a tenant in a property, we can go ahead and pay out a full year's advance worth of rent on day one of signing a lease. And that is the kind of options that we can use to put forth a really good product that we've put a little bit more money into originally and yet still have the capital to go out and keep building this portfolio. So what do I want you to get out of this episode? I want you to recognize that we can still be good guys. We can still go make a lot of money. We just have to have um, strong intentions. We have to have a really good game plan from the, the get-go. And then we have to have a team on our side that we can trust, that knows, that sees our vision as well, and is working to help us all make money and help us all build equity for ourselves and our children and you know our future lives, our future selves. So, uh, you know, if you have any questions on how to specifically get started in, in any of this, always feel free to reach out. Uh, I hope this episode, you know, maybe 
gave those people that were starting to pause on like, yeah, I think everybody needs to get into real estate, but I just, you know, I don't want to be the bad guy. I don't want to be the bad landlord. Well, listen to the, the, you know, uh, ethical landlord episode, then listen to this one and, and give me a call. I, I can help you find a way to do this that, that you can feel comfortable about. Not only will you make a lot of money doing it, but you can also still help someone else out by providing them a nice, high quality place to live that you do the maintenance on, that they don't have to worry about, that they don't feel like you're a slumlord. I mean, I feel like almost every episode I could end with, um, don't be a slumlord. If, if there's no other advice that anybody ever gets from any single episode of this podcast, it's this. Don't be a slumlord. Just don't do it. You'll be you'll be fine. You can make money and not be a slumlord. So again, I want to thank everyone for joining us today. Make sure to like and subscribe. Hit hit the notification bell. Um, you know, check out the YouTube or the podcast, whichever one you found us on. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. We will see you in a couple weeks.